The following audio is from a sermon series for the season of Advent 2019. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, A couple things really quick. One, um, we have a a couple podcasts at Sacred City. One of them is called the Sacred City Life Podcast podcast. And that is a podcast where we get to talk about things that we're maybe not talking about on Sunday morning. It's really about uh, following Jesus in the everyday rhythm of life. And a couple weeks ago, or last week, I can't remember now, um, I recorded one for the Christian men in here. And so men, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would encourage you, download that, give that a listen. Uh, I think it's going to be helpful to you. It's about manly stuff. It's about raising kids and being discipling our kids and things like that. So give that a listen. And then secondly, um, talking about following Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. From the very beginning of our church, one of the things that we, uh, kind of sets us, makes us a little bit unique is um, the way that we make disciples in the everyday rhythms of life. And what that means is oftentimes we have a lot of gatherings outside of here. We've got people getting together to smoke cigars together and, and make disciples. One of the things that we did, uh, or I used to do often, uh, about 10 years ago when we started this church, was we would get together for fight nights and we would watch UFC and we'd enjoy that time together. And last night I was feeling a little nostalgic and it was uh, a pretty stacked card on the UFC. And so I said, you know what, guys, come on over. My MC guys, come on over. Let's watch the fights. And about 1130, I realized I made a huge mistake. (laughs) That I am 40, that I do feel it. And all of a sudden, and these fights, they all, if you didn't know, they all went five rounds. Just about all of them went five rounds. And they didn't end until 1 a.m. Okay, so... I'm saying that because I'm apologizing, all right, already that my brain isn't quite working the way it normally works. I am running on little sleep. It's all my fault. I'll own it. It's my fault, right? I made a big mistake. It was, you know, it was one of those, I had one of those mornings where I woke up and I was like, oh no, that couldn't have been my alarm. No. (laughs) And then I was like repenting. God, please help me because I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Get me through this day. And so I need help from the Holy Spirit this morning. I need help from you. My, 
I probably aren't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be stuttering a lot. I can already tell. Here it goes. So let me pray. We're going to jump into things this morning. Father, we thank you that uh, you're here with us, that, it's, that you are not some kind of ghost that we have to conjure up, that you're not waiting for us to work for you. We're not here trying to stir up our emotions or stir up um, you to do things for us. You're no genie that we need to rub a lamp to get you to do something for us. Father, you have gone here before us. You, you are here before we got here this morning, and you just call us to uh, enjoy you. And so I, we, we kind of stand on that today. We ask that you would speak to your people through your word, and that your spirit would be here bringing um, dead things alive and uh, bringing life to even tired, uh, lethargic people, and that you would be doing that for your good or for your glory and for our good. And we just, um, I pray that you would think through my mind this morning. Father, help me as I am weak, and I'm reminded of that this morning. Would you think through my mind? Would you speak through my vocal cords? Would you help us see you and see your goodness today? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is, as you've already heard several times, it's the third Sunday in Advent. And Advent, if you didn't know, it's the season and the life of our church and the life of the church where Christians look back in gratitude on the birth of Jesus and simultaneously look forward in faith to his second coming. If you have an Advent wreath at home and you're doing maybe a family devotional, you most likely are aware that each week in Advent, uh, you, you light a new candle. We've got some down here. You light a new candle, and each one of those candles represents, a, you could call it a gospel theme, something that Jesus has done for us that is now, because of his work and his life, death, and resurrection, that is given to us as Christians. So it's a, it represents a theme or a gift that is um, given to us because of the gospel. And these four themes are hope, peace, joy, and love. And then the last candle, which is the white candle there, it's the Christ candle, and we light that on Christmas Day, and then that stays lit all year long till our Good Friday gathering, which is one of my favorite of the year. Now, today we light the third candle, and that is the candle of joy. And we're going to be looking um, at our text this morning in Romans chapter 5 through the lens of joy. Now listen, here's the deal. If there's one characteristic that should mark the lives of Christians, of Jesus-following believers, it's joy. Now does that surprise you? See, I don't think serious Christians have the reputation of being joyful people. Think about the most serious Christians you know. You know, the real serious Christians. All right, like the A-team Christians, right? The special forces Christians, you know, right? Pastors and priests and nuns and monks and Bible thumpers and the ones who put it on their Facebook every single day. Those real serious Christians. When you think about these folks, is one of the first characteristics that comes to mind, is it joy? Probably not. I think it's usually the exact opposite of what comes to mind. 
These are the people that usually you think maybe they're the ones that get really upset when anybody else is having a good time. George Steinbeck in his book, East of Eden, one of my favorite, he describes such a woman like this. It's a killer line. I love it. He says this, quote, she had a dour Presbyterian mind and a code of morals that pinned down and beat the brains out of nearly everything that was pleasant to do. <laughs> what a line. For some reason, it seems like the more serious you are about your faith, the less joy you have as a person. Now, let me state from the beginning here that if your faith in Jesus Christ isn't producing a deep and abiding sense of joy in your life, then there's something wrong. In Matthew 15, Jesus promises his disciples that his joy, that's pretty cool, he has his own joy, and I'm gonna say, probably because he's the source of all joy and he's God himself. And so joy isn't something that exists, like he created joy. No, no, joy is something that is something about him, that he is enjoyable himself. Jesus says this, his joy will be in his disciples, in them, and their joy will be full. Jesus is saying something special about the human condition. One, you've got a joy tank. You are built for joy, and that joy tank is usually running on E most of the time. But something about Jesus, he can meet their needs for joy, and he can actually fill up that joy tank. He's pro he promises it to his believers, to his disciples, that Jesus was a joy dealer, and he still is a joy dealer, and he wants us to find our joy and to have our joy be full in him. Fit, well, yeah, that's right, full in him. Come on. It's warming up, it's warming up. That means this, if we are lacking in joy, we are more than likely placing our faith in something or someone other than the real Jesus Christ. When, we are, when our faith is tapping into Jesus, we're going to be tapping into a sense of joy that is more deep and lasting than anything else can give us, and it's going to cause our love tank to rise, to be filled. And therefore, if we find ourselves depleted of joy or lacking in joy, more than likely our faith, we're tapping into something that's not Jesus. Tapping into something that's not going to give us what we're looking for. So one of the things that you, you when you read through the scriptures, um, over, there's over 60 scriptures just in the New Testament on joy that promises joy, that the, the, the Christian faith is serious about joy. Joy is a mark of the Holy Spirit. Joy is something the Holy Spirit produces in us. Christianity is serious about joy. Now, if we look at today's passage, let's go to Romans chapter 5. We've been in it for, um, this is the third week now. And I like that because we're just kind of squeezing all the juice out of this passage. And we can't get it all. We could be here for the rest of our life and never get it all out of this. It's so good. But let's read it really quick. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this scripture starts with the word, therefore. Now, I've said this before, but anytime you see that word in scripture, 
when you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? All right. It's saying what comes after this, what I'm about to say, what you're about to read is predicated upon what has come before. In other words, Paul is saying, the author of Romans here, what I'm about to say to you is based on everything I've already disclosed for you in chapters one through four. Now, chapters one through four are all about the gospel, the work of of Jesus that he has already accomplished for us in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Pastor Derek did a great job last week kind of parsing some of that out. He went back and pulled out a few scriptures from the last, from the first four chapters. So let me just summarize what he taught and what the first chapters teach. Here's what Paul's saying. Therefore, means for us is this. Because of the gospel, this is now true of you. Or because of the gospel, this is how you should respond. Because Jesus has done this for you, this is now true of you, and this is how you should respond out of what Jesus has already done for you. And three times in our passage here, Paul commands believers to rejoice. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? We all know, we all should know what it means to rejoice. It means, let me use some different words though. It means to exult. What does exult mean? It means to enjoy something, to take joy in it. If you're at a football game and your team scores a touchdown and you jump to your feet, you're exulting in their performance. You're, you're, you are rejoicing in their performance. It means to boast and to enjoy. Now listen, what does that mean? So three times in five, chapter 5, 1 through 11, Paul tells believers to rejoice. Now this is what he's saying. Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has already done for us, we should enjoy him. We should rejoice in him. The key theme to this Romans chapter 5 is joy. It is a product of, of the gospel, that when God saves a person, the chief fruit of the Spirit's work in their heart is joy. So if you're a Christian and you are lacking in joy this morning, and it's okay to, to, to admit that and to confess that, we're not trying to fake our way into something. But we, what we need to realize is if we are lacking in joy, that, my friend, is what we call a gospel issue. It's a gospel problem. Now, don't worry, I'm going to unpack that for us this morning, and I'm praying that the Lord would help us, this, and, and we would leave more joyful than how we came in. But first, let me give us a quick outline for where we're headed. One, we're going to go do this. We're going to say, well, what, what actually is joy? Two, why is it so elusive? And three, how do I get it? So that, that's where we're going. Let's just jump right into this. What is joy? Now, if you Google that, the definition of joy is here. It's real profound. A, a great feeling of happiness or pleasure, right? You don't have to teach. You shouldn't have to teach people what joy is. Joy feels good, right? Joy is a great feeling of happiness or pleasure. Now, the surprising thing, all of us desire joy. We are joy-seeking animals. We 
we are led about by that which we find pleasurable, right? Most of the time, we don't have to be taught how to have hobbies. We don't have to taught to find things enjoyable. We just have this kind of, you know, heat-sinking missile system of joy. Whatever we find pleasurable, we're going to go after that. Um, but I need to clarify some things because many times preachers say things like this. They say things, well, there's a great difference between joy and happiness. And they say things like, well, the word happy is based in the Latin, which comes from happenstance, and it basically means happiness is all circumstantial and there's something different about joy. Well, the problem with that is what the Bible teaches, sorry. Um, but the Bible doesn't say there's a difference between happiness and joy. In fact, Jesus often said that believers will be happy. Makarios is the, the word Jesus uses over and over in the Beatitudes. And so there, there is no difference between happiness and joy. They're, they're really overlapping. But there is, the Bible does, in, you know, the Bible does kind of differentiate between what I'm going to call Christian joy and worldly joy. See, that's more helpful for us. There's no difference between happiness and joy, but there is a difference between Christian joy and worldly joy. Christian joy is unique. Now, the word, word joy is used really three different ways in the Bible. One, it's what all of us would assume. It's that joy is an emotion caused by favorable circumstances. Uh, in the New Testament, the shepherds experienced joy uh, when they went out. And remember, they found their lost sheep. There was one lost sheep, and the shepherd went out and found it, and he found it. And what does he experience when he finds the lost sheep? Joy. He's happy about this. Right? That's good. The multitude felt it when Jesus healed the Jewish woman that Satan had bound for 18 years. So they had known this woman and she had a health problem for 18 years and she went to all the doctors and nobody could heal her. But then Jesus heals her and everybody's like, oh yes, finally, somebody that can heal us, somebody that can make us whole and make us happy. And so they experienced happiness. And then this, uh, the, the disciples experience joy after they watch Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father and they come back and they're enjoying him and they're, they're worshiping him and they're excited about it, that Jesus produced a great joy in them. And then this is one of my favorite. Joy was also experienced, it says, in Acts 15, 31, when the church at Antioch uh, discovered, they went to the Jerusalem council and they discovered that they no longer had to be circumcised to keep God's law. There was great joy. All the men were like, yes, right? Now, what is this? This is, we've got good experiences. We've had good circumstances. God has blessed us. So in this way, Christian joy is synonymous with worldly joy, that we are meant to be joyful and we are joyful when things go well for us, right? Simple. We get the job, we're joyful. We have the healthy baby, we're joyful. Our team wins the championship. We're joyful. But the word joy is used more than that way in scriptures. And I'm going to briefly touch on two other ways. One, there is a moral joy. Philosophers talk about this. A joy that's produced by being a certain type of person. Here's the problem. You can take a person who doesn't have moral joy. I'll just say it like this. They're not good. They don't have righteousness. Um, 
They're not, they don't live in line with the universe. They don't live in in line with God's ways. You can take, let me say it like this. You can take an unhappy person and you can put them on the best beach in the world and they will ruin your, you take them on your vacation, they will ruin your vacation. Why? Because they're not a joyful person. There is, they are, they are, the word would be immoral. They're, something is bent in their character and so they don't know how to enjoy good things that God gives them. And so there is a moral, there is a, a moral aspect of joy, of being a certain type of person who can actually enjoy things. You guys know this. Uh, you, you think of all, there's characters out there, Eeyore and people, just always, right? <laughs> Debbie Downer, you know her, right? We all know her. We're going to hang out with her in a few weeks, right? <laughs> you know whoever it is in the family. You're like, oh, geez, here we go. Got to see her, right? Now, what is that? There's something about her character or his character that is lacking. It's, it's immoral, really, to not be able to enjoy Good things. Now, I'm not going to get into that too much this morning, other than what I just said there. Then there's a third aspect of joy, and that is joy that is actually commanded, which is really unique. This joy is not just a feeling, but an action to be engaged in no matter how we feel. Proverbs 5.18 tells the reader to, quote, rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's a command without reference to what she may be like. It doesn't say, you know, when she gives you everything you want, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Right? When you come home and there's a clean house or when you come home and she's earned a, a full day's wage for you and she adds it to the bank account, rejoice in the wife of the youth. She was productive today. No, it says command, rejoice in your wife. Men, that's a command to us. Christ instructed his disciples to rejoice when they were persecuted, reviled, and slandered. When you're made fun of, Rejoice. The Apostle Paul commands continuous rejoicing in Philippians 4 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Take joy. Enjoy God. Enjoy your life. Rejoicing is a command. Paul, or I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, tells Christians in his own book to count it all joy, even when we're going through great trials and difficulties in life. So here we see something very unique about Christian joy. That Christian joy, now first let me just ask ourselves, how can anyone be commanded to be joyful? Right? Well, one, because there are things that are enjoyable that that are given to us as gifts and there's something immoral about not enjoying it. Right? Now if if I take you to Duck City, and I buy that bone-in ribeye for you, and you cut it, and you do that, there is something wrong with you. (laughs) That is an immoral reaction. I will call you to repentance on the spot. God has given us that. The chef has been trained in how to cook it to perfection. Just, it it just moved like an hour ago, right? Now it's barely stopped, it's hard, it's barely stopped breathing, it's stopped beating, it's right there on the plate, it's been, it's been just perfectly prepared for you, and you need to eat it, and you need to enjoy it. It's okay for me to sit down and go, enjoy this. 
When you give your kids a gift, it's okay to be like, enjoy this. You want your kids to enjoy it because it's an enjoyable thing. And if there's, not, if there's nothing, quote unquote, wrong with them, they will enjoy it. So there's something right about being commanded to enjoy things if those things are enjoyable. But there's also something unique here that we can see about Christian joy. And it's totally unique and distinct from worldly joy. Listen, here it is. Christian joy is deeper than just circumstantial joy. In fact, the apostle tells us in our text this morning to, quote, rejoice in our sufferings. Now, it's one thing to sit down before a juicy steak and say, enjoy that, right? It's another thing when you put broccoli in front of somebody and say, enjoy that. <sighs> Right? I can't even do anything. I'm telling my kids, I know, I hate it too, but I'm eating it. <laughs> right? Paul is pu putting suffering in front of us and saying, enjoy it. That looks like a big old plate of broccoli to me, worse than that. Right? How can he do that? Well, he's pointing out something totally unique in Christ to Christianity. Now listen, it's a deep, it's a joy that is so deep and so abiding that it can be found, it can be tapped into even in the worst life experiences that we'll ever experience. A joy that can actually grow deeper and more real and more vital during suffering. Now, this is so unique because we all know what we consider joy, that it shrivels up and dies when we go through suffering. When you lose, the, when you lose your job, you lose your joy. If your kids get sick or God forbid they die, we lose our joy. If there's not enough money in the bank account, our joy is so elusive that it disappears and it's gone. But Paul says there is a Christian joy that actually grows during the winter of suffering. That this Christian joy, the roots go down deeper into the soil of our life and we can actually find a joy more true, more lasting, maybe even eternal in our suffering. When the world, their joy is fleeting and it runs away. Now, why is that? Well, why, why is joy so elusive for us? Well, I kind of pointed it out right there because our joy is almost always 100% circumstantial. And if you grew up in this American culture, with mo which most of us in this room have, the reason that our joy is so elusive is because we've been taught this. The way to joy, the path to happiness, is the, is the path of achievement. Achievement. We are all taught to be, quote, self-made men or women. What do you want to be, we're told as a young child? Whatever it is, you can do it. You can be it. Go out there in the world and make it happen. Now, here's the reality. Almost all of us, whether we're Christian or not Christian in this room, almost all of us believe this reality 
uh, deep down in our bones. We might not be able to logically say it. We not be able to just come out and just clearly identify what's going on. But most of us believe that the path to joy, the path to happiness comes through accomplishments, achievement. So what do we do? We almost always have this carrot out there in front of us. This thing that we want to achieve and it pulls us forward and we're really led by this carrot that we place out in front of us. And what what does that look like? We, We say things like this. I will be happy. I will find joy. I'll be good when I get good grades. When I earn a state title. I can't, I know I'm going to be so happy when I get that state title. When I graduate college, when I get, nobody in my family's graduated college. When I graduate college, oh my goodness, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be there. I'm going to find that joy that I'm looking for. When we graduate college, well, when I get a master's degree, I need a master's degree. I need a PhD. No, 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 it's not there. It's not there. It's a spouse. That's what I need. When I get her and she looks like that, then I'm going to be happy. When I get him and he has six-pack abs like that, then I'm going to be happy. When I have that wedding, oh my goodness, can you, that that wedding is coming. It's going to be amazing. No, you know what it is? It's a house. This apartment, ugh. There's no joy in this apartment. I need a house. I need a dog. I need children. No, I need a better job. No, I don't need a better job. I need to quit my job and buy a hashtag van. That's what I need. I need van life. Van life is going to make me happy. I'm just going to travel around the world and just every morning wake up with fair trade, organically grown coffee in my cup, looking over some beautiful sunrise. And I'm going to Instagram that stuff and I'm going to be happy. And if I'm not happy, everybody's going to think I'm happy. And they're going to be unhappy by looking at my happy news feed. That'll make me happy. No, no, no. It's not there either. It's in the new car. Oh, no, it's not there. It's in the next vacation. Oh, it's not there. Oh, it's in retirement. It's not there. Oh, my goodness. What's left? What's left? See, this is, what, this is the lie that our culture is selling to us, that joy is found through accomplishment, that joy is found through achievement. And this, these, there's, a, there's a lot of problems to this understanding of life. The, the, the problems are legion, and we're seeing them all over our culture if you have the eyes to see. And I want us as Christians and parents to be able to tune our eyes to see the problems so we can raise our children in a different way to help them find true and lasting and eternal joy and not sell them this lie that we've believed that joy comes through achievement. See, when a person believes that joy is found through their accomplishments without even knowing it, they're stepping onto a treadmill. And if you've ever been on a treadmill, one, it's exhausting. Two, this is, this is not just any type of treadmill either. This is a treadmill that like has a person next to it that's like always pushing up. <laughs> increasing the speed and increasing 
you know, making it more vertical. That's what finding joy through your accomplishment, that's what it feels like. At first, you win that one match and oh, oh, that feels so good. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, I don't want to just win one match. I want to win all the matches. Okay, that's a little more exhausting. Or you get that promotion and I don't want just one promotion. I want all the promotions. I don't want just one vacation. I want all the vacations. I don't want just one thing. I want all the things. And what does that mean? That means the effort required to accomplish those. It's a rising scale of difficulty. It, so if you, if, you, if you know this, if you're, if you're in this system, I'll find, achieve, or I'll find joy through my achievement, you realize that it's exhausting. It's overwhelming. Especially in this culture and day and age where you take your phone with you, work always comes with you, and you, there's never a time to shut it off because you always got to keep getting ahead. So you can never rest. If you rest, the competition will jump on you and you'll miss your move in the market. You'll miss your moment. So what do we do? We are exhausted. So we, what do we have to do? We have to self-medicate to keep it going. Coffee no longer is just something I get to enjoy in the morning as a good gift from God. Now coffee is necessity. Coffee is life. Not just one cup, two, three cups. A little espresso. Give me a four-shot red eye. You just look at that guy going, you have issues, right? I'll take a heart attack in a cup, please. Give me anxiety, side of anxiety, please, right? What else do we need, right? We need all kinds of medication, all kinds of pills, all kinds of drugs to keep us going, to keep us focused, then we need alcohol to bring us down off of that. We're so amped up on caffeine and anxiety and stress and pressure. We have to alcohol ourselves to fall asleep. It's no longer just a good gift to gladden the heart of man, like the psalmist says. Now it becomes self-medication for a life of anxiety and stress because we're on the treadmill trying to achieve our joy. Or maybe you... You've experienced this one. You know what it needs. Some of us, we're on this treadmill and, we do, and we're medicating and we're doing all this stuff. And so sometimes you, you, you go to text that friend or you go to call that friend and they just ghost you and you know what they're doing. It's no surprise what they're doing. They're eight hours deep in a Netflix binge and they are sh they're not gonna come out for nothing. Why? Because we're running so hard, we're about to crash, and we just lay on our couch and turn on Netflix and we just binge. Give me something in my soul. And then when we are unable, when we admit it, when we're just, we can't run anymore, we can't fake it any longer, the caffeine's not working, the alcohol's not working, or those have created addictions and our body starts breaking down, we, we can't keep up the pace and we're about to fall off the treadmill. We're about to go face down and on the treadmill. What do we do? We deem ourselves a failure. What's wrong with me? Why can't I keep up? Look at everybody else around me. They're all happy. They're doing this well. Why can't I keep up like this? And then depression settles on us like a dark cloud and we think there's something wrong with us. 
This is the problem with worldly joy. This is the problem with trying to find joy through our accomplishments. Proverbs says it like this. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. What is that? He's comparing sugar with seeking our own glory. That there's something about sugar that's good in the moment. If you've got kids, you know this, right? Your kids, all they want is sugar. That's all they want. They're complete morons. This is how we know. <laughs> this is how we know they're morons, right? Like you give them sugar and what do they want? More sugar. And then an hour later, what do they say? Oh, my stomach hurts. And we're like, this is the 10th time you've done this. How many, did you drink three pops at grandma's house? We just need to go, moron, right? What's the problem? What's the problem? They have a desire for something that is not good for them. Here's what the, the pro, proverb says this. Our desire for our own glory is like that craving for sugar. Our desire for our next accomplishment, moving up the corporate ladder, that desire is for our own glory and it's like sugar. Once you get it, it's not really that satisfying and you need another one, right? I, I, my kids aren't the only morons, okay? I love donuts. And I also know that there's a threshold. There's a threshold. Like for me, it's about once a week and the threshold is two. Now I, I eat the second one and I'm still looking at all the other ones and I'm like, I think there's more joy to be had here. I'm pretty sure there is. I'm pretty sure there is. But every time that third donut is a mistake, always later, oh, my stomach is going to be hurting later, right? Or I'm going to be on that sugar high and just everything, like, you know, a crazed squirrel running around my house, <laughs> right? There's a threshold to the joy of the donut. Now, here's, what, what am I getting at? Donuts are enjoyable. Sugar is enjoyable to a point. Then you cross that threshold and it's no longer enjoyable. Listen, accomplishing things is enjoyable to a certain point. And then you realize that it's no longer enjoyable. And did you know this? There's a recent study that just came out. And it said it's tracking uh, prosperity in America. And it says basically that money does produce happiness up to $75,000 a year. And as soon as you cross over that threshold where you make more than $75,000 a year, it no longer brings you any more happiness. So here's the lie, right? No, no, I'll be happy when I make 100. I'll be happy when I make 150. I'll be happy when I make a million. But in reality, statistically, you will be, there's a law of diminishing returns. Once you make over 75 and you've got a, probably a pretty good house and a pretty good car and pretty good clothes, and you got food on your table. Now, it matters how many kids you got, right? If you got more kids, you need a little bit more, all right? But, Statistically, that's where it's at. And every $10,000 that you add to your bank account is not going to bring you any more happiness. There's a threshold to it. So here's the problem. The way we're doing life, the way we're trying to find joy, can we just be honest and say it's not enjoyable? Right? Like Phil is the only one who enjoys that treadmill, right? We don't. 
I enjoy watching Phil enjoy, enjoy the treadmill. Wow, look at that. That's interesting. <laughs> right? You, you never know. You're driving on the roads. You see Phil's like eight degrees. He's running. What in, what's wrong with this guy? Right? He's finding it enjoyable. Right? But most of us don't enjoy the treadmill. So why are we doing it? Not only that, parents, why are we training our children to do it? Here's what I want for you, son. I want you to be more accomplished than me. I want you to be more stressed out, more, have more anxiety, have more pressure than I do. <laughs> That's what we're, aren't we training our children to find their joy in achievement? Better schools, right? More accomplishments, better college, better career, better house, better neighborhood. And it's not enjoyable. Why? Ultimately, because it's based in seeking our own glory, what another word the Bible calls pride. And pride is not a virtue. C.S. Lewis famously said that pride, it doesn't get joy in things. So pride, so when pride accomplishes something, it doesn't actually get joy in it. Pride finds its joy in having more than somebody else. So it doesn't get the promotion and go, oh, this is so enjoyable. It gets the promotion and then feels better than the people that you beat. Right? So there's our joy problem. Our concept of joy is based upon the world's standard of achievement. We're told you will find joy on the other side of the next accomplishment. And many of us have climbed onto that treadmill and we are too exhausted or too afraid of failure to actually slow down and think about it, to evaluate our life and go, is this really what I'm here for? What am I doing? Am I enjoying this? So this brings me to my final point. How can, a, how can we get a deep and lasting Christian joy. Um, one of my favorite, you could call them saints. So that's what we, the, the church has kind of called them saints. You could call them the patristic fathers, the early church fathers. Um, but it's St. Augustine. And if you've ever heard of St. Augustine or read an autobiography or a biography or autobiography, his confessions, um, you'll know people often call St. Augustine uh, the saint of the restless soul. And one of his most famous lines in his confessions is, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So he says, we are made for you, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Now, when we hear a guy named Saint Augustine, first off, he, he didn't start out, he wasn't given the name Saint by his mom, okay? He was raised in, quote, a Christian household. His mother was a Christian. She was a, um, what we consider to be a Catholic. And his father was not a believer. And his mother was uneducated. And she kind of had like a folk Christianity. So a Christianity, and many of us may be raised in a folk Christianity environment where it's not really scriptural based. It's not really deep theology. It's just kind of like God is there and Jesus is real and you should love him. And let's talk about this baby in a manger. The problem was she also trained her children in the way of the world and she wanted the best for her child. So she and her husband sacrificed greatly to put Augustine in all of the best schools. And what was happening, this was a worldly educational system. And so every educational system comes laced with, with value, 
with morals, with a sense of what's good and right. And so every educational system has a certain morality to it, a theological system. And it's, they're, they're made to train us to love something, all education. And so this educational system trained Augustine to love himself, to love wisdom, to love power, to love art, to love travel, to love the good things in life. And so Augustine threw himself in it to, to love sexuality and sensuality. So if you didn't know this, St. Augustine was with a woman in an immoral relationship, had a son with her for years, right? He was not a Christian. And he saw this like backwoods faith of his mom and he just rejected it because he was smarter than she was. He's more educated than whatever, mom. Until Augustine, who's his travels, he's going from school to school to school. And, and basically he's getting promotion, promotion, and promotion. And he's traveling to the coolest cities in the world. And finally he meets, he finds this one guy, Saint, we call him now, Saint Ambrose. All right? And Ambrose was an educated, God-loving, God, Jesus-following man. And for the first time, St. Augustine hears a deeply educated and yet deeply worshipful, joyful Christian. And he brings his education, he brings his uh, deep questions to Ambrose and Ambrose can answer those questions philosophically and through scripture. And Augustine is just blown away. I didn't know I could love God with my mind. I didn't know that there's deep things of God. And what happens in, in this moment, sometimes here, Augustine gets converted and he's like a, a, the least likely convert. He doesn't want to be, he was, he says, unfortunate. He had an unfortunate conversion. Like he didn't, he, he was like, I'm on this path to success. I don't want God to get in, get in the middle of that. And yet God steps in the middle of it and saves him. And listen, this is, he's asked, um, when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to walking with God and finding this ultimate joy What's the, what's the most important three things? And he says, there's three ingredients to finding this deep joy in your soul. One, humility. Two, humility. Three, humility. Humility, Miroslav Volf says this, humility is a signature virtue of the Christian faith. And listen, joy its signature emotion. Now, you, your brain might be spinning right there because we usually think pride and joy would go hand in hand, not humility and joy. When I think of humility, I think of, right? I think sad, depressed all the time. But St. Augustine, who traveled around the world seeking the next achievement, said, no, no, that's not where joy is found. Joy is found in humility. Humility, what is humility? Humility isn't necessarily just thinking you're an idiot all the time, thinking everybody else is better than you. Humility is self-awareness. It's the ability to see you as you actually are through the eyes of God. It's the grace of seeing ourselves as we really are before the throne of God. Paul says in Romans chapter five, the text that we're studying, he says some really unflattering things about us that we can just blow right by if we're not careful. 
Now listen, I want you to hear this. Paul was the disciple of joy. Paul is happy. Paul is not like depressed when he's saying this. Like Paul, he didn't take his medicine today. This is what Paul says about us. Verse six, he says that we are weak. Can you say, you know what, I'm weak. I'm, I'm weak. I can say that I'm weak. Like the, I, I feel it this morning. Didn't get enough sleep last night. I feel it when I'm looking at the donuts. Ooh, I'm weak, right? Verse six, he says we are ungodly. That means we're not like God. We are bent. We are immoral. We're broken. There's something very distinct about us in God. God is perfect. God is holy. God is good. We're not. Verse eight, he calls us sinners. How dare you, Paul? And in verse 10, he says, we were enemies of God. Humility is the ability to see this and go, yeah, that's me. That's me. Now, okay, Justin, well, but how, there seems to be a huge dichotomy here, but humility and joy. How could humility actually produce joy? See, listen, when I realize the reality of who I am, in light of who God is, I quickly learn, listen, that there's no way for me to ever accomplish my way out of my joy problems. Wait, wait, wait. If I'm a sinner and I'm an enemy of God and I'm broken and I'm ungodly and Jesus and God is the source of all joy who's going to satisfy me and my soul for eternity, how am I ever going to achieve my way into greater joy? What can I do to make myself ungodly? What can I do to make myself not an enemy with God? What can I do to make myself holy or right? The answer of the Bible in the first few chapters of Romans is there's nothing we can do, humanly speaking. See, that's the problem we have with joy. Joy can only be found in God, and yet I can't get back to God. I can't earn my way Back to God. And so that's why, why St. Augustine says, here's where you start. Step one, humility. Throw your hands up and admit, I'm not a happy person. I don't have joy. And I can't accomplish my way into that happiness. I can't find myself back into a relationship with God. I need something else. I need somebody to come help me and to come rescue me. See, this is where humility is supposed to lead us. Not a downward path towards self-hatred and despondency. Actually, self-hatred and despondency is just the flip side of pride. You're saying of yourself, I should be better than this. See, that's what happens when we're running too hard and we're trying to accomplish our joy and then we realize that we can't keep it up. We're mad at the world. We're mad at the world. We're mad at ourselves. What's wrong with me? That's our pride. We think we should be able to keep it up. Humility throws its hands up and says, no, this is a downward path that leads ultimately to a manger. See, that's the first thing. We can miss this on Christmas. Christmas teaches us two things. One, we are so messed up that we can never find the joy we're looking for. We can never get right with God on our own. And listen, so God had to come save us. I'm a dad. 
I like to sit on the couch sometimes and I watch some football or watch some TV. And when I hear chaos happening in the basement, what do I do? I yell first, stop it. Be nice. Quit it. Right? This is the way of God. He sent prophets first. The prophets of the Old Testament, they just yelled at people all the time. Right? And then just like a good dad, right? It, does, it never works. The yelling never works. So what do I got to do? Gosh, I got to get up and I got to go down there. That's exactly what Jesus did. He literally sent prophets. They yelled. They told everybody we're broken. We're messed up. We didn't listen. So God came down here. He literally put on flesh. That's what the incarnation means. He, become, he became a human being. And he walked among us. So that tells us, one, we're so messed up that God literally had to come down here to save us. But secondly, God is so kind and so loving and so good that he chose to come down here. He chose to enter into our world, into our struggle, into our pain to save us. That's what Christmas shows us. We're that broken, but we're also that loved. And it's there when I'm looking at that when I'm humble enough to say, okay, I can't fix my life. I can't find joy in myself. Where we can be in a position to receive the joy that only God can give us. See, humility says, actually, pride says this. This is one of the reasons you can't enjoy it. When you get the promotion, because you walk out of the office going, about time, I deserve that. You walk off the field, I earned that. All off season, all year, I've been working hard. That was owed to me. I deserve that thing. And pride can never find enjoyment in that because you think you earned it. You think you deserve it. But if you see yourself humbly through the eyes of God, you realize I deserve nothing but hell and judgment. And everything above that is a gift of grace. Because of Jesus, I get grace and I get love and I get mercy and I can enjoy that. It's there in our text that it says when we come before the Lord and we see this, that the love of Jesus gets poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of a heart that's been poured into by the love of God? It's joy. See, joy cannot be achieved. That's a lie. Joy must be received. This is the gospel. Jesus has done everything for us. He's done everything to make us right with God. There is no obedience required from us. There is no earning. There's no obtaining. It is receive the work of Jesus. That's the gospel. Receive it this morning. And when we receive all that he has earned for us, we are filled with joy. A joy we can never earn. It's interesting in verse five, or ch I'm sorry, verse, chapter five, verse 11. Look at this. It says, Paul says this. More than that, we also, look, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? Christianity, Jesus makes it possible for us to actually enjoy God. Christian, if you don't know what I mean by that, then you don't know what I mean by Christianity. Christianity is not about going to heaven when we die. 
Why do we want to go to heaven? Because there we can enjoy God. Christianity, first and foremost, is about enjoying God. Psalm 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, Duck City, cut into that steak. Enjoy it. God is saying, come to me, taste and see, enjoy it. Enjoy me. Enjoy. This is what your heart was made for. This is what your soul was created for. You were meant to see me. You were meant to enjoy me. You were meant to walk with me. You were meant to know me. You were meant to worship me. You'll never be happy accomplishing things. You must receive the gift that Jesus has purchased for you on the cross and find it in me. John Piper says this, salvation is the awakening of a new taste for God or it is nothing. Salvation is the awakening of a new taste for God or it is nothing. As we close, I know I'm over. As we close, I'm going to Luke chapter one. I want us to see this. I want to see uh, Mary. Um, I'm just going to read this and this, this is how we're going to close this morning. I want us to see how humility and joy are tied together, and we see it in the mother of our Lord. Verse 39, chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So Mary is pregnant with Jesus right now, and she goes to, uh, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her cousin, and Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist at this time. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, look, the baby leaped in her womb. So John the Baptist heard Mary say, hey, what's up, Elizabeth? And John the Baptist jumped in, her mom, in the mama's tummy. Okay, now what, what's going on there? I love this. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. Remember, she's exulting. She's worshiping. She's enjoying something. Her team just scored a touchdown. Blessed are you among women. So Mary walks in. What's up, Elizabeth? <gasps> Elizabeth's baby jumps. She goes, you're blessed, woman. Okay, now keep going. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She knows who this baby's gonna be. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, what? Leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment oh, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, here's what, here's, this is called Mary's Magnificat. This is Mary's worshipful response. This is Mary exulting, Mary enjoying. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, look, rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on what? The humble estate of his servant. God did not look at Mary and go, oh, she's killing it. Oh, 4.0? Oh, oh, she saved herself before marriage? Oh, that's, that's good too. Oh, oh, she, oh man. she's about to get a promotion. She's on my good list. No, 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 no. God looked on the humble estate of his servant. And what happens? For behold, from now on, 
all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. What is she exulting in? God. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Listen, God could have chosen any successful woman in the Roman Empire. He could have chosen a king's wife, a king's daughter, the most wealthy person in all the, the province, the most beautiful. That's not who God chose. God chose humble Mary. And he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What is Mary doing? Mary is enjoying God. Not things, not stuff, not wealth, not comfort, not ease, not peace. She's enjoying the gift of Jesus in herself, that it was unearned. And what does she do? She exalts. She enjoys God. Can you do that this morning? Do you know what it means to enjoy God? Can you enjoy God right now? It could only happen if you see the work of Jesus, the meaning of Christmas. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this gift of grace that you have given to undeserved sinners like us. Father, we are broken. We are on, many of us are on the treadmill and we're exhausted. And you're saying, come to me you who are weary and need rest and I will give you rest. You want us to step off the treadmill of accomplishment and receive the gift of grace, to receive a joy that can't be earned, a joy that was earned for us. I pray that you would help us do that this morning. And even as we, as the Christians come this morning to enjoy the supper, that we would get a sense in our hands and in our mouth of the unearned favor of the Lord. What do we do? We receive this morning. What do you do? You provide, you give, you nourish, you bless. Thank you for this gift of grace, Lord. Would it produce joy in our hearts? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.